Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Dave Gallego. Today on OTB, head coach of the NWSL champs, Gotham FC, Juan Carlos Amoros. Um, you know, big win for him, Davey. I'm glad you got him for this interview. Um, 2-1 win, took the championship, so it'll be nice to talk to him. Also, Dave, I'm very interested to talk to him and get his uh, thoughts on uh, the U.S. women's national team. Uh, they're, they're 2-0 lost to Mexico. So uh, we'll talk about that coming up on Over the Ball. Uh, I am on tour back from Antarctica in the beautiful state of Florida, which, uh, you know, I know our production team is in Florida, and it's an interesting state, Dave. I don't know if you've spent any time down here. Florida, absolutely. My wife is uh, breaking my balls to uh, to move to Florida and be neighbors with uh, our wonderful producer. So um, it's always on our radar. She's not she's not following the messy trail here. Uh, no, uh, ironically, she's not a big messy fan. I don't even think she knows what messy refers to, unless it's uh, me not cleaning the house. Wow, a mixed marriage. I love it. She has no idea who messy is. Who's that person on the planet? Like. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I still talk to old people, and they're like, "I ask something, say something about soccer," and they're like, "Um, Pele." <laughs> All they remember is Pele, which is interesting because, um, you know, talking to John Harks last week, it was great to talk to Harksy um, about how people forget so quick. We realize as we get older, these young ones, they uh, they just don't remember who some of these players are. So anyway, um, Juan Carlos has done a great job with uh, with this team. Um, you know, he was originally with the Dash, and then. Then uh, took uh, Gotham to the to the championship, so it'll be nice to talk to him. But Dave, so I, you know, like I said, I wanted to talk about the the women's national team, and I can't tell you we've all seen this coming. It, I feel like saying, uh, you know, welcome to the world of international football, where the U.S. women. And I always get in a little bit of trouble for this because, so I first want to say this: the United States women's national team have changed the world. They have had more impact on the world for good than any. A sports team, uh, a men's sports team ever in this country. They they showed women in Brazil and Costa Rica and Spain and Italy and Portugal and even smaller countries where women's rights are non-existent. They showed them that you should have the right to play. You have the equal right to get out there and um, and, and show your wares, you know, play uh, soccer like they all could. And I think, you, you know, I remember coaching some camps where the kids would come up to me and say, uh, you know, coach, um, our women's national team is so good. They could beat the men. They're the best in the world. And, I'm, and I, I felt like saying, hey, kids, you know, most of the world doesn't play women's soccer. These women have opened up doors for everyone around the world. But the problem is they, they just they dominated and dominated and they dominated with sheer athleticism. And the world has now caught up. And uh, they did have possession. They did have most of the possession against Mexico. But I thought Mexico played a better brand of ball. And then watching Spain play in this last World Cup, our women weren't even close to them, technically, tactically. Thoughts? No, I, no. I mean, you're right, and quite frankly, Mexico was being polite by only winning two nothing because, to your point, they played; uh, they were superior, and the yeah. score could easily have been more than two zero. So, uh, you know, to say it was a shock, I don't even know if it's a shock anymore. Um, you know, I can't say it stunned the soccer world. It's, yes, it's a surprise, surprise result, but to your point. 
things have changed, and the United States women are not the dominant force they once were. And I always have, I have a big axe to grind for, for a lot of reasons. One, because of the way I sort of came up with soccer. Uh, I'm playing soccer, you know, playing football in junior high school, and then I start playing soccer, and you're called a soccer faggot. You know, uh, we're going to sew you some nice dresses. We're going to, you know, all that crap that I had to put up with going through high school and then college. And I go to college, University of Massachusetts. The men's soccer team at UMass has one scholarship. The women had 13. So as far as this, like, women don't get any their due, yeah, they did. They got it. Because of a men, and I don't blame the women because it's a men's football team. It's 90 scholarships. They can suddenly fund all the women's soccer programs on, on, on the campus. Everyone. They were giving away scholarships to crew and, and, uh, and lacrosse. Just, hey, you look like a good athlete. Here's a scholarship. Where most of us guys, you know, gutting it out with soccer, we, we would, you know, we got nothing. We took vans to games. They flew to games. So I was a little pissed off at that. So then I go to the professional ranks, right? And nobody shows up at our games. The uh, NASL was over. I'm playing in the NPSL. We get three, 4,000 people a game. I couldn't demand money. You know why? Because nobody came to the games. We didn't have a TV contract. And so I think when women started to get, you know, in, um, you can stop me at any time, Dave. But when women started to get into this thing and they were saying, it's not fair that we're not getting salaries and things. And it's sort of like, well, you need to build. Uh, it's not Title IX when you come to professional sports. It, it's money. It's money. And I think, you know, you look at the WNBA. They lose money, and the NBC and uh, and the NBA subsidize that program. And look, man, this is America. Um, business is not going to fund your project. So finally, I think the NWSL started to turn it around. They really did. They started getting great sponsors. And you and I used to say to people whenever I would speak about these things, I'd say, "Do you want to support women's soccer? Go to the games. Don't piss and moan about it." Go to the games. Well, they're, now doing we have- a, they're doing a good job with with attendance. I mean, there are thousands of people going to their games. I, I will say, get, uh, with the women's national team, um, Carly Lloyd was quoted as saying that Mexico was exceptional. True, we agree with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Best we've ever seen in a long time. But, you know, they were relentless, they were organized, and they were hungry, which kind of alludes to the United States lacking motivation. Uh, right. Okay, well, that's a real problem. Somebody's got to light a fire under their ass. And I know they have a new coach starting in a few months, but this is quite frankly, not a surprise, but kind of unacceptable. Lack motivation? Totally. Come on. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sort of saying uh, they took things for granted. And when you take things for granted at that level, you're toast. And I think, you know, Julie Foudy and, and Mia Hamm and all those guys, they had, they were, they were fighters. Uh, and they, 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 they just something to prove. They had something yeah, to prove. Sport to the world, you know. You're right. Soccer. I mean, other than other than the, and other than the Jamaican bobsled team, you're right. This team was the most <laughs> inspirational team in the history of sports. Um, uh, yeah, Jamaican bobsled team. Hey, did you guys win the gold? We got the gold. Okay, all right. So, love those guys. But yeah, I think it's look. The wake up call should have been the World Cup, but there were a lot of excuses coming out of the World Cup as well. But at the end of the day. Even with the men's national team, you know, Lex, Lexi Lawless has always talked about the fight that the younger teams had that he hopes these teams had. And even if you're talking about Premier League, you know, Alex Ferguson has talked about these young guys with million-dollar contracts. They're 18, 19. They're not as hungry. They're not as hungry. They're not as motivated. You're already a millionaire at 19 years old. Yeah, well, I mean, the guy, Caleb Williams from uh, the University of Southern California, Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's made ten million dollars on NIL money, so uh, you know he's making more than the coach. 
so when he goes to the <laughs> when he goes to the NFL, he's already wealthier than the head coach. So that's the state of sports across the board right now. Right. And in college, like what do they say? The uh, who's the kid from Texas? The Manning kid. He's not even yeah. starting quarterback. He's making a couple million a year in yeah. NIL stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, really sick. But listen, the longtime Chelsea football coach um, Emma Hayes, she's going to be coming around, and hopefully she turns it around because you know. This was once the shining star of the United States sports. I mean, forget about the United States basketball team when Barkley played and, and all the big names played. I mean, the, 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 like you say, they were so inspirational. So hopefully Emma Hayes can turn it around because uh, it does not bode well. The, the recent results do not bode well for uh, the women's uh, U.S. national team. I also think they made a, a big, huge PR move because all the positives that they had done over the years to build up women's soccer worldwide I think they squandered it with a lot of people because a lot of my friends who are not soccer people were like, what, what was their problem? They wanted, they wanted, they negotiated a contract that they wanted with maternity leave, guaranteed contracts, a $10 million donation to the NWSL. And then when that, when they thought the men were going to make more, when they won the world cup, they changed it. And they said, well, we're not getting paid equally. Well, first of mm -hmm. all, the women's world cup brings in a, a much less money than the men's world cup. It's just a reality. And so right. we're in a capitalistic society. I mean, give me a break. And, and I always come back to this. It is not title nine mentality. It's a capitalistic society. And so yet is there sexism out there? Absolutely. So battle it, get, get people to come to the games, make them want to watch. You know, there was a, a big thing on um, uh, in the middle of like an Instagram thing where someone said the highest paid women's basketball player makes what Steph Curry makes in one half. Mm -hmm. And that was unfair. And and all of a sudden, the responses just lit up. They're like, she's overpaid. She's overpaid. Steph Curry brings in millions. Uh, you know, the league is basically subsidizing some of these salaries. So it, it, reality is here for them. A lot of our women, our best players are going overseas mm -hmm. uh, where there's an infrastructure built at Arsenal, at Chelsea. And, um, you know, there's a different mentality over there, Dave. Like, remember when Jurgen Klinsmann saying, yeah, if you lost over there, you had to walk out and go to the to the deli or whatever, and everybody gave you shit, you know? Yeah, and but like, I will say that the the NWSL is still, in, in my opinion, and, and a lot of the critics' opinion, still a higher caliber of, of play <laughs> than they have over there. But I think, to your point, I think that we're going to lose more and more players uh, going over there. Uh, and that's something that we'll talk to, talk to Coach Amoros about. I mean, he has a lot of women's national team players on the squad, including Crystal Dunn. So I'm interested yeah. to hear his thoughts because a lot of the critics also uh, blast the um, the American League by being more fast-paced and less of a controlled possession type of game. So I'm int definitely interested to hear his thoughts on that. Um, yeah, and then and then a couple of other things I, I wanted to mention. A couple of things of interest. Wait, Dave, uh, Dave, before you do, I just want to make one more point. Yes, I sir think that that was like a cultural slur in a way where they would say like, oh, the Americans play so athletically. They're athletically blessed. It's like, well, we are. Uh, but what they need to do now is, you know, you watch um, Hermosa, Jenny Hermosa for Spain, the way she plays with her back to the ball, the way she creates angles, the way she gets herself out of trouble, out of space. We really need to concentrate on tactical and technical abilities. Uh, yeah. in Build the from the back. Yeah, build, build from, the from the back. You know, they, I mean, but you know, but things 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 always evolve in life and in sports. And if if our style is winning World Cups, then hey, hey, then everybody be quiet. Then the, the, then the, the the game has changed. Like the advent of three pointers. I mean, now it's a, a three point league. Um, just as an example, I mean, even with the NFL, um, 
you know, back in the day, they weren't throwing bombs. I mean, now you're throwing more bombs. So things evolve. If we win the World Cup based on our style of play, hey, then that shuts everybody up. But we're not winning right now. They better. They're, you know, and I tell you what, I just uh, sort of tangentially connected here. This Caitlin Clark. Oh my God, that's the best pure shooter I've ever seen in my life, men or women. Uh, you know, there with Curry, I would love to see her and Curry go at it. But you ever like, watch her warmups? If you go on YouTube and watch what she does to prepare, it's insane what she yeah. does. I mean, that's, that's that's true dedication, by the way. And if the yeah. United States women's national team had that same dedication, and again, I don't see what goes on behind closed doors, but if they had that same dedication, I mean, Tom Brady, so incredibly driven. Um, yeah, just so as another stuff. example. He was so driven and so focused that he lost Giselle. You idiot. You got to balance your life. Um, oh. But I will say this, Dave. Um, this this whole thing, uh, Caitlin Clark is playing in that game. And I don't know if you saw all these guys, you know, these frat boys in the stands, you know, already with beer bellies at 20 <laughs> years old, you know, with their chests painted and stuff, saying overrated as she came out. And I'm like, I hate when 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 spectators watch that and they heckle real players who are out on the pitch and they're going overrated, overrated. And all of a sudden she lights them up for like 65 and they shoot back. And these guys are just standing there like idiots. Like, you know? Well, I, I have to give a, I have to give a shout out to my alma mater, the university of South Carolina, because talking about dominating in women's sports, this Dawn Staley is one heck of a coach and they, she has this team rolling. So uh, when it comes to women's basketball, that's the that's the stuff. But hey, look who it is! It's our friend Juan Carlos Amoros. Um, yeah. Welcome, Coach. National champ, top of FC, Juan Carlos Amoros. Welcome to Over the Ball, my friend. Congratulations, first of all, from uh, Dave and Kevin and the whole crew at uh, at Over the Ball. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you very much for having me, and really looking forward to to chat with you from here, from from the heat of Colombia. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Thank you for having me. Well, I feel bad for you. I'm in I'm in 30 degree weather in New York, so I feel very bad for you. I feel very badly. Um, I I don't share your pain, but uh, hey, coach. Um, first question. Um, I know you're a, a Madrid guy, but I have to ask you as far as men's soccer goes: uh, Real Madrid or Barca? Well, I grew up really more. I grew up in Madrid, going to watch Rayo Vallecano and Atletico Madrid and. Real Madrid and Getafe, you know, so I was always going to every game I could. So I'm a little bit more on that side where I'm from, but I respect Barcelona. They're a fantastic football club. So, so well, my, yeah. my father is from Barcelona, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to chalk you down as answering Barca. So good answer, my friend. <laughs> so, hey guys, hey guys, Juan Carlos and Dave, this is a question for both of you. So you both said you both used the Castilian uh, pronunciation, Barcelona, but yeah. then when you said Barca, you just said Barca. So shouldn't it be Barcelona or Barca? I, I guess it could, but my father used to run around to the house screaming Barca, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow his lead. Yeah, I think it's different. Barca is the nickname, and it's with a letter. Right. I'm not sure how they call it. It's with a C with a little thing underneath, so that's an S. And then that's why when you say Barcelona, it's a, different, it's a bit different. You know, it's kind of, that's kind well, of how it works. Well, Juan Carlos... Uh, the hardest class I took in college. I'll tell you my quickly my story. I took Spanish yeah. one ten, got a D. Yeah. Took Spanish <laughs> twenty, got an F. Took it over. Guy let me drop it. I took it again. So I skipped one twenty and one thirty. I went right to one forty because it was one. It was called conversational Spanish. <laughs> Thank God, the man was from Colombia and used to come to the soccer games. And he sees me. Goes, Kevin, 
you have to come to the review session. <laughs> he helped me out. So I will always remember my friend. Uh, thank God I could play soccer and, and he was a Colombian. So he appreciated it. He, he held my hand. So I, I, I know enough Spanish uh, for my soccer. You know, pata la pelota aquí, you know. Uh, ah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I learned English. Eh? I learned English when I went to, I was playing in Holland and I played a little and learning a bit of coaching there and in Scotland. And that's where, you know, now I kind of understand everything and my English is all right. But trust me, I was really not good when I was 20 or 21 years old. Mm -hmm. But that's now. Well, when you coached, I mean, when you, so when you, you coached in Tottenham, uh, you coached, uh, you've lived in California, you've lived in Houston, you uh, you live in New Jersey now, so you've mm. been very well-traveled. I have to ask you a non-soccer question. Who, other than in, in España, who has the best tapas? Oh, wow. oh, who has the best tapas? That's, uh, from, uh, the tapas is very, I have to say that it, tapas as a thing is only in Spain. I love the food from other places you know i think one thing i love in america is that every place have their own things you know in new jersey new york you go like the pizza and to be honest the fruits are amazing you got the farms houston the meat is crazy like probably the best i've ever had in my life and then in california i love the the seafood the crab was amazing so and the lobster so i think every place with the food has their own little magic touch you know oh, and i love it very diplomatic of you. Very diplomatic answer. He's, he's, uh, he's sounding like an American. I love it. You know, <laughs> and this leads us to the coaching style. You know, you come from these countries with this rich, uh, you know, culture, uh, you know, Spain and the, the way they play, the, the tiki-taka, and then, you know, going to Tottenham where, you know, 24-7, all anybody's talking about is football. You come to this country, there's cultural differences. There's athletic differences. Um, talk about you know, your your journey and all you've attained as a coach and how that now applies to sort of American players here in this country. Yeah, well, I think that for me, obviously, I'm, I'm a Spanish, but I think every every person, every coach starts shaping themselves from their own journey. Uh, I grew up in, you know, with a lot of football, what we call in Spain, from El Barrio, from the neighborhood. So I think from there you learn how to win, how to compete, how to be creative with what you do. And then from there playing, and then I went to Holland as I was coaching already since I was 14. I went to Holland, I played there. So I, that was already my first contact where I was like, wow, it's so different. You know, like even yeah. if it's similar for the people, I fell in love with the fact of how people live football in different countries. So then I came back to Spain, I coached and, and played in Spain. Then I decided to try to play almost pro in Scotland, kind of in the third division there. So I learned another kind of football and a school of coaching. Then I went to England, obviously. Then I went to America, back to England. Then with Spurs, I went to China, to Denmark, to Australia. You know, like I've had, I think, a lot of influence on my way, not only of coaching, but understanding people. I think a lot of the coaching, you know, everyone have a knowledge about tactics and technique and obviously I try to go deep into that, but I think a lot of it comes about understanding people, the cultures, what's the background. You know, like we have players here that are from a neighborhood in Brazil or from, you know, from a place in Mallorca, a place uh, in New York, and you need to be able to connect with that people. You know, I think that's the key to, to them earn them trust and from them being able to 
to get them buying to play in your style and, and we try to play also a style that I've uh, for my experience players tend to buy into it because it's simple it's clear but at the end of the day uh, it's also fun and engaging you know so I think that connection it just creates uh you know it's our, our approach and our, and our style yeah yeah well, we're talking with coach Amoros from the Gotham FC um, they went from worst to first, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, and the, you guys play a very exciting style. And again, anytime you go from worst to first, then you obviously did something right. But uh, if anybody is interested in tickets, then just go to GothamFC.com, and again, you will see an exciting brand. But following up on what you just said about the, the style of soccer, I'd like to I'd like to know your thoughts between the European League and the American League. And, and critics, there, there have been some critics out there, uh, such as Mark Skinner, uh, stating that there's not a lot of love from building up from the back and it's it's that they kind of loathe the fast pace of the game. So respond to critics that think like that, that have stated something like that. Well, I think uh, obviously Mark was here some years ago, so I'm not sure, like my experience for what I've seen... Obviously, you can see teams like ourselves or, or North Carolina. Then you have also even, you know, like there, there are a lot of teams here in this league that they really try to play out from the back. But I think that that's a little bit of a plain concept, you know, like I think this league is so much more. I think the, the challenges that every team brings you, they can be so different, so wide that it is a for me, the most exciting league. I've coached in Spain, I've coached in England, I've coached here, obviously. Uh, and I think that this league is by far, for me, the most enjoyable as a coach, definitely the most competitive. Every team here will do a very good job in in the European leagues. Uh, obviously, there are certain teams in Europe, like two, three, maybe, no more, that at the moment that they are very, very good. But I think every team, you know, then here they will definitely have to run for their money that we see in, we say in Spain, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that the American League for me is at the moment is the best in the world. When you look at every roster, every roster has some of the best players in the planet. And I think that's very exciting. And on top of that, you know, the the stadiums that we play every week, the media repercussion, the you know, the what the, how the players are treated, how the staff is treated, and not only from one or two teams, but from the fourteen. I think that is the key. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh yeah, but you know, Chelsea and Barca, they have this, yeah, but what happened with the other eight or nine teams that are on that league that are just fighting for relegation? You know, like they sure. have yep. no nowhere near what they have. Well here Every team is very even in every aspect, you know, in terms of... Yeah, consistent in every way across the board, consistent across... And I think we also, this league has depth, a lot of depth, a lot of players. And in in that vein, Coach, I want to ask you, so you come from, you know, from Houston, you come to New York. Do you come with a style of play that you want players to play that they start to fit into? Or do you look at what you have and sort of say, with this talent pool that I have here, uh, with the pluses and minuses, I will develop a style for them. Which which is it? We well, from my time, uh, really at Tottenham, but it was where I was playing the most competitive football. We my teams always have been teams that we've been trying to be very aggressive on the press. That we try to dominate possession of the ball. That we try to play on the opposite half. Uh, and those are things that I brought with me. Then at Betis, I I started working as well with Jesus, who is now my my right hand man and. From there, we started to create a little bit of a, a style, that, but in there also we had to get results and we had a team that 
honestly, with start developing concepts, but we were a team we couldn't compete with certain teams in the league. You know, like there are teams that were so much better. So it was difficult because when you have a team like us, you need to start to impose your style, but in another way. And when I went to Houston, I started to develop more that and and being able to to work, uh, you know, with players that could compete against anyone, you know, and we could see, you know, Houston, we got like the best record on the second, when I was there, we finished fourth, we did a lot of, you know, we got a lot, a lot of success. And and uh, when I came here to Gotham, I brought Jesus with me and then we said, okay, so now let's try to really create something that is going to be something that we've been developing throughout the years, but now put it together and have the time because, you know, in Houston, he was working with me online, doing certain analysis, and now we put together this style and, and he called it the organized chaos. So he helps a little bit to make sure that all these ideas now are more simple and developing this style that this is starting to be, we are starting to be recognized for and that everyone kind of try to watch and see how how we operate, no? So I think that's something that's very exciting and mm. that's something we're growing into, it, no? So tell me about uh, something that's always intrigued me is so now you have a lot, a lot of uh, the national team players and they're playing for one coach and that's one type of strategy. Tell me about navigating with your team to now go from there, that strategy to your strategy. How seamless is that? Because you, again, you have one coach talking about one thing and now they come to you and, and Gotham. How do you help? How do you? How do you make that work? Tell me what, what the process is. I think the players themselves, they in general, they already have that experience, okay, because they already done it throughout their career. I think the key is with us is to be so clear that, you know, we will, I always say that we give them the frame and they paint within that frame, so they got that freedom. Uh, but now we obviously have players, obviously we've got, now, Lynn, Mitch, and Jenna, who have played a year with us. So when they come back, it's going to be easier because they already know what we do, the key concept. We have our own vocabulary. We have all, you know, our own things that they are already familiar with. But on the other side, we got obviously got Tierna, Crystal, Rose, and Emily that have worked with us for like eight or nine sessions, and they're coming back. Well, we, we, we don't know, but they probably come back just before the first game. So I think it's a, we, we prepare a tactical process of attack our process with them there's the tactical adaptation period where we've been you know like getting them into the habits focusing a lot into the tactical side so when they come back they are ready some steps it will take some time but i think it's important that when they go they have everything so clear that when they come back they just need to come back to what we were doing and that helps you know because mm. if we will be changing everything they go away they come back and now we're doing something completely different yeah, yeah. so i think for us, what is very important is focus on us and making sure that we are focusing on what we need to do to win. Okay, obviously we play against opposition, analyze everything, but always our way. You know, and that makes the player confident and that makes the player understand that they already know what they what is expected from them, and then they need to do and make the magic. Yeah, yeah and that's where the the older players, once they know the system, help the younger players, and so mm-hmm. new ones that are coming in. So you know, look. The game is the same, whether it's for the men and the women. We're trying to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and the, the tactics, the teamworks, the strategies, all the same. Uh, you know, you played at a high level. You, you've, you've coached men as well. Is there a difference uh, in your approach, do you think? Is there a different approach for, with women? Because, look, I, I always say, coach, the best coaches that get great results are really psychologists 
at this yeah. age. Yeah. Last year was really good. Mm-hmm. Every player is different, so yeah. you have that element. But um, is it different coaching women than men? I mean, there is two aspects here. For me, the most important one is that it's not even only the difference between men and women. It's the difference between ages, group of people, culture, backgrounds. It's not the same an English woman's team than an American woman's team. Yeah. Or a Spanish woman's team. Or a Spanish men's team. Or an, uh, you know, I think... But, and it's the same with men. It's not the same with, you know, the culture that you have here in Colombia to, you know, uh, when I have had, I had in, in some work I did for a lot of South America players from Colombia, actually, and other countries, their approach to life and to the game is so different to the English uh, traditional. You know, so what you need to do is be, I don't like the word psychologist because that's maybe a bit too deep, but like the but you're right, you know, you Kevin, you're right. It's like you have to have that connection to understand the person and from there maximize their performance. Uh, so I think that it's not really only about men and women, it's all the culture backgrounds and the same with ages. Right. It's not the same when yeah. you have great age of your team being twenty-one than when it's thirty-two. It's completely different. You know, so it's about managing that approach. But I wouldn't say I manage that approach different between men and women. I manage that approach different between every team I've coached because that's what I think helps us to be to be successful. And then also in there there is the second part of the answer, which is in every league there is different rules and regulations like for example in america you we have the cba and you as a coach need to know the cba to know what's yeah. allowed who not allowed to do how you organize certain things where you can and you can't know yeah. and then you know so it's a holistic approach to the to the players and to the team you know it's, it's, it's a bit complex but overall i would say different to every team and group of people yeah. I think well, also the fact that you've lived in australia uh, that you've lived in Spain, you know, you were in England uh, and even Scotland, which I don't think they speak English there. I'm not sure what they speak. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to say that they do, but you have to be, you have to be wide, wide with your range of, of, of listening. Absolutely. If, yeah. if it's not haggis, it's, if it's not haggis, it sucks. Yeah. I love haggis, by the way. That's one of my, oh, my favorite things. Oh, you're lying right now. You must have a you oh, must no, have no, no, sponsoring your team. Haggis no, sponsoring your team, liar. No, it's similar to morcilla. Have you tried morcilla? It's no. very similar. It's very nice. In Spain, we have very similar, so that's why. So in Spain, it's they say if it's not morcilla, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, coach, I wanted to, so I wanted to tell our listeners. I wanted to remind them of the exciting brand of soccer. Uh, football uh, that uh, is um, around the league and especially with your team because if they want to see big names they should come check you guys out I mean you guys have Crystal Dunn uh, you have Rose Lavelle you have Emily I mean you have Lynn Williams Kel- Kelly O'Hara you have some monstrous names how is it to how is it to, to coach them I mean I don't want to use the word intimidating because of course you're not intimidated but you have some top tier talent uh, everybody must have a little ego I mean it's been mentioned that there are um, alpha females um, in women's sports. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you got eight dogs. For me, to be honest, like I can only speak highly of all these names that you've mentioned and some that are not in the team anymore, like Ali Krieger, yeah. Ali Long, you know, even players I've managed throughout my career, like Alex Morgan. But I think these people that I found here at Gotham, like even we have players like Michael Cerboni, who is one of the most cap players in in the history of this country and has uh, a lot of rings uh, as a champion. They are so professional, so 
team driven so you know that they understand the importance of the team about the importance of themselves they've helped me so much you know like ali Grieger, long kelly o'hara michelle betos uh, McCall, Kristen Edmonds, you know, like all these players, Lynn, Mitch, all these players that people see from the outside, like what you say, like maybe, oh, big egos because they are famous and they are international and they play. Then they are fantastic. Like if you spend some time with them within the changing room and within the pitch and, you know, in our team meetings, and when we have our one-to-one meetings, they are so driven to be better and so willing to learn that for me they've been so much easier to manage than other people because they know what they want and they understand this is a team uh, effort and they are going to be successful if the team is successful and they are also very self-conscious they know if somebody is better than them you know what i mean and they yeah. push them to be better they don't look at blaming me they look at hey how can i be better and that's what it makes these elite athletes elite athletes you know i don't think usain bolt when she when he lost a run was thinking oh but the other person and he was like hey i need to be better so they are the oh, same yeah. he was better. focused yeah i mean ali krieger was i'm sorry kev one more thing. yeah ali krieger was actually probably the one that started the the war mantra of of going from worst to first yeah yeah because ali krieger is a she was a great leader of the team and she was a you know she was a champion. She yeah. was able to leave a lot of other things in her life to make sure that that last year of her career, it was going to be the best year. And she really pushed everyone. And, you know, she's... I love it. I love it. It's a great way to go out. You know, Coach, I think you're... You know, we went pretty hard at the top of the show before you got on at on women's yeah. soccer. I did especially, you know, U.S. Okay. Men's, the women's national team. No, look, I, you know... I've had Kelly O'Hara when I had this show on ESPN. I mean, she is a competitor. She is a great player. She oh, is a she is a winner. She's something else. <laughs> you know, I wish I could have played with that with that woman. She, she's something else. And, um, you know, there's a new generation. And I think, you know, even uh, we were talking about overseas, some of these young guys are getting huge contracts at 18, 17. They're millionaires already. And it's tough to continue to motivate them. And a player like Kelly O'Hara or, or Ali Krieger with this wonderful pedigree, and they have fought for everything they've gotten. Um, they need to pass that on to this new team, these new younger players. And it's it's difficult sometimes because they've grown up in a different sort of culture, right? Mm-hmm. So I think watching that Mexico team, I, I felt uh, I felt I was bummed the U.S. women lost. I was very happy, though, that Mexico played so well. This is a team that the United States actually motivated to get involved with soccer and say, we can play too. Um, and so I wonder what you thought watching that game. They, you know, they pressed really hard. U.S. Men, women's national team couldn't quite get out of the back, even though they've maintained possession. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are watching that there, because I think you have a, a really unique perspective on it. Yeah, obviously, first and foremost, I know Pedro Lopez, the coach. Uh, we worked together developing, you know, when I was at Betis, uh, even when I was at Tottenham, we already were working together with some of the players I had, and when I was at Betis, I had Andrea Medina, Maria Valle playing for him, so we worked together a lot for a while in that connection and I knew he was going to be successful once he got a bit of time to work with the team then when he came to Mexico we were in contact because I was coaching Maria which is obviously one of the best players of Mexico so I think that I I had clear that they have talent and they got a good coach they 
they give him time because at the beginning obviously it was going to be hard. Mexico came on the back of, you know, even hosted that that tournament to to qualify to the World Cup that they needed to to change things and be better. And they have talent, good coach. They have passion. They know what they're doing. They got a clear plan. And when you got that, you you know you got a lot of you got a big chance to win football games. You know. Yeah. I, th- I, I think, think the hard thing for the I think the hard thing for the U.S. women's national team is that no one, everyone goes at them at their absolute best. When you're playing the United States women's national team, you want to knock them off the pedestal. You're going yeah, for the top. Steps up. It's it's like playing uh, Liverpool or you know or, uh, Man. or Man City, you know, and so that's tough. They've yeah. created this great winning tradition, and, and boy, everybody wants to knock them off that pedestal. So uh, yeah, but yeah. we, but then I say we now because obviously I consider myself now American, or I work with seven of the players. I think our responsibilities now make sure that we keep that standard high. You know, that's yeah, the, yeah that's absolutely, great. absolutely. So, uh, Coach, we're running out of time right now. I do want to remind people the the season is starting in just a few weeks. So, uh, for ticket information, go to GothamFC.com. That's GothamFC.com. They play at the illustrious Red Bull Arena. And uh, go see their uh, crazy fanatic fanatical fans, the uh, the Cloud9 group over there. It's uh, it's quite an experience. And, Coach, yeah. you, you, you really – they play a great band, brand of soccer. I love to watch it. And, uh, you know, what, what's interesting is I grew up in New England you know, playing oh. soccer – in the early, late winter, early spring, boy, you better have those sweatsuits ready and everybody uh-huh. else. It's not Spain. Yeah. It's not Spain. So. Yeah. Bueno, in Spain, in winter, I used to play as well, and I've never got a game called off, so we played in the snow, in oh, yeah. water, which is everything. That's the only way to do it. Yeah, so, but now I'm happy, to be honest. Like the summer summer season here is very nice in New Jersey, nice weather all, all year round, not not too much cold. So, yeah. No, you, have, you have a game coming up. You have a game coming up against Portland, and that's not going to be, uh, nobody's laying on the beach in March in Portland. <laughs> a little warmer than Jersey, though. It's a little warmer than Jersey. Yeah. Coach, thanks so much for coming on. We wish you nothing but the best. We hope that you can. Can have a repeat of last uh, last season's success. Um, and hey, Dave, uh, Dave, yeah, if you have any other head coaches on in uh, NWSL? You better not just be kissing Juan Carlos's butt here, uh, man. Uh, well, we, can, we can we can yeah, edit that out. We, we'll edit that part out. Don't worry about it. Hey, I'll be, Juan Carlos, who? Good day. Thank you. Nice yeah. meeting you, buddy. Uh, Juan, Juan Carlos Moros, thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Best of luck in the season, coach. Thank you, guys. Please feel welcome to come down the Red Bull Arena 24. Looking forward to it. I will be there, my friend. Will do. Thanks, Coach. Wow, what a great guy. I've enjoyed that interview, Dave. Thanks for setting it up. It's interesting. uh, You know, it's a new day for uh, soccer in this country. Like, you know, it used to be guys that were here, women that were here, um, you know, coaching. Now we're we're getting, you know, I mean, him with his pedigree, uh, traveled all over the world. I think he's uniquely suited. To uh, to coach to coach a team like America, I didn't get to ask him, but you know, one of the things, Dave, you kind of touched upon it a little bit was um, a lot of these players come from you know Colombia or Brazil or Spain, and then they come to America, and not only are you dealing with a new soccer culture, but you're dealing with the culture of living in a new country where yeah. you know you're either you're not taking a siesta or you're the food is different or whatever. And by the way, I didn't say it to to Juan Carlos, but I hate tapas. It really is. If it, it feels like I thought the French already did this with hors d'oeuvres. It's, it's like, <laughs> like you just haven't eaten the right tapas. Then there's some oh, good, there's some good stuff. 
my girlfriend loves it. So we go and we went out with another couple and we ordered these meatballs. And there's four of us sitting there and three meatballs come out. I'm like, what? It's like Hunger Games again. I don't know. It's a meatball. So, Kev, let me ask you. I mean, if you're co- he's coaching some of the greatest players in the history of this sport. Yeah. I use the word intimidation. I know I know he's not intimidated, but as a coach, would you be intimidated to coach some of these players? I wouldn't be intimidated if I had his pedigree as, uh, you know, me playing three years in the indoor league. <laughs> would maybe I'd be intimidated by the women. Intimidation yeah, is a bad, that's the wrong word. But, I mean, that's got to be a little, little strange. I mean, Crystal Dunn, I mean, again, the best players in the history. But I think a lot of I, them. I actually think, and this is a, a vast generalization, but I do believe this. I think women are better teammates because, in, in some respects, because you have, um, you know, uh, I have friends that coach, uh, you know, Nick O'Shea was an old teammate of mine. He coaches women and he just says, they'll listen to you and they will give you, um, they'll give you your due with whatever your process is. Just conversely, if it doesn't work, you might, they might start to abandon ship. But he said, yeah. with men, when he coached men, a lot of times, they had all the answers. Yeah. They had all, and a coach had to battle the egos. Everybody's trying to be a dog. Uh, who had the bigger dick, swinging dick here? And so it was like, don't say those words. Um, oh, we got to we got to edit that out. Those are bad words. We got to edit that one out. I'm not sure. It's a podcast, dude. Um, I think that the girls the girls know the swinging dick reference. It's a, it, it applies to everybody. But you know, I mean, even talk about and then good night, everybody. You talk about Mia Hamm. You know, Mia Hamm went to Anson Dorrance in, at the University of North Carolina, and she said, what do you do with the witch hunt? And he was like, what do you mean? He said, well, she goes, well, I'm going to score goals as a freshman, and, you know, the, the seniors are going to have a problem with it. And he's like, no, you'll, you'll play. Like, if you were a goal scorer in men, they'd get that boy the ball. Yeah, uh, just give me the damn ball. There's nothing fair in sports. So I think, um, you know, you have to – a coach like that is a psychiatrist because you're dealing with – Different cultures. I agree with that. And they all come together, and you gotta you gotta handle each player differently. And so it's, it's very yeah. Because what motivates one player is demotivating to somebody else. Some are motivated by money. Some are motivated by giving them pats on the back. I think you're 100 percent right. And he obviously does a great job because they won. He went from worst to first. Kudos to him. That was great. Well, you know, again, I think that's part of like having seven top tier players like that, and then filling in other players, and then who. What role do they all play? And motivating them so they're all on the same page. Yep. He's obviously, he's obviously he's got his shit together. We can edit that out as well. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and, and you know what? A, y- a young guy, um, which brings me to my next uh, point, is that Eric Ramsey, 32-year-old guy, was just uh, named head coach from the Minnesota United. 32 years old. Dave, I got to stop you there. You know what's weird? 32 for us is young, but in a way, it's not. Uh you know, it's like that's that's a that's a it is young, but it's not. It, no, it, and, and and Kev, I'm only bringing that up because that historically that's never been the case. I mean, even in the NFL, you have Sean McVay. He was hired when he was 31. Now you have uh, the new coach for the Seahawks. He's 36. Bunch of 40 year olds uh, in the Major League Baseball. The youngest coach is 46. Uh, the Celtics coach is 35. And I'm only bringing this up because when right. you and I were kids, everybody was 70 years old. Earl Weaver. I mean, yeah. the, you had a bunch of Earl Weavers running around. Right, and then they quit Billy coaching. And they died two days later. So, uh, <laughs> but that was a good two days, though. Yeah, it was a hell of a two days. They're home with their wife all day, and that was it. I'm, I'm going to die. No, I think uh, I say to people now, I'm here in Florida in Punta Gorda, which sounds like a venereal disease, by the way. But all these people down there, 
I say it's it's old people and their parents are here in Florida and uh, we're performing comedy for them. So, but no, I, I, I like that. This is a new day. So the example that you bring up, a 32 year old coach, um, you know, and then this, this, you know, Juan Carlos, this is the new, this is the new thing. It's the new reality. Um, you you want to talk about Ronaldo a little bit? What's the I just I just wanted to tell the listeners. Just I always like to find these interesting tidbits. And uh, Ronaldo, is, his team is actually not in first place. Everybody thought that when he signed with them, they would run away with it. Not only are they not in first place, they're in second place, but they're seven points behind. Just wanted to interject that because I thought that was kind of cool. Um, he did not dominate the league as everybody thought. I've loved watching him play. It's been amazing. We we are blessed to have a, a Messi and a, and a Ronaldo at the same time. But I think he has lately, these last couple of moves he's made, the way he behaved himself in the World Cup, like going to Saudi Arabia in and of itself, it just, I, I think he's he's tarnished his uh, his image in a little bit of a way. And in a different way, you know, Maradona, we felt, uh, we empathized with poor Maradona and his struggles with substance abuse and, you know, weight and everything. But, you know, you loved uh, Diego Maradona. It just was the way he played and how he was. He he seemed like a, just a sweetheart of a person. Yeah, and yeah. I guess we've always known that striker who's the arrogant guy, and we're all yelling at him for you know you know marking up, get back, you know get goal side, all that stuff. And when they score a goal, all right, you're the champ. I'm sorry, I yelled at you. But, uh, <laughs> but Ronaldo, it's like he just sort of makes some bad decisions. He had enough money, more money than he ever spent. Make some make some make some decisions based on your legacy. I, I think. Like, you know, Messi has done, he's just seems like he's just such a wonderful team player. Bulletproof you know? this guy. Bulletproof. He's yeah. doing everything right. And they were even showing up things that he doesn't fake getting knocked off the ball or, or fouled, you know, where they're no. showing Ronaldo uh, not getting hit and he falls in the penalty area. And as Americans, that is not turn our off. culture. Huge, it's huge turnoff. Turnoff. And I got to defend that to, and I don't defend it to my friends who are like, what was that? You know, what a get off. And I'm like, dude, guys, it's a cultural thing or. And it's an ego thing, but um, you know. So I think as much as Messi has come to this, the new world here to to be the next Pele, basically of American soccer, to take us to the next level. Ronaldo made a mistake and, and should have come here and not gone to Saudi Arabia, where where women have to wear you know veils over their face. Um, having said that, I am very excited about De Bruyne talking about how he's not going to go to Saudi Arabia. He's going to come to America if he does anything. He's thirty three yeah. years old. He's yeah. still one of the best players in the Premier League. He's hundred percent. Listen, at 33, you can be the head coach of any team you want. <laughs> at 31, apparently. Yeah. So at 30, what was I doing at 31? I don't know. Probably can't even talk about it on the air. I couldn't, <laughs> even, say, couldn't even say swing and dick. Hey. Never mind any of the other stuff. Oh, my. Anything else you want to touch before we get off here? Uh, no, buddy. I think we're all good. Uh, next week, who was our guest hey, next way, week? I just put uh, swing and dick and touch in the same sentence. So I, I know. I, I didn't go there because I'm not trying to perpetuate your uh, – your lunacy, my friend. Who, uh, who's t- tell everybody uh, who our guest is next week? Uh, Mike dancing right now, so just tell me. <laughs> who did I say? All right, maybe you know, maybe maybe I had an acid flashback. Push you know him off the next I week. I make microdosing mushroom reference, and you do an acid reference. What if kids are listening to this show? Neither of us are drug people. Um, I think that's a little bit more family friendly than the swinging dick comments. Don't say those words. All right. This is the uh, the essence, the honey. This is what we do it for. You're an actual uh, businessman with a job. I have no job to lose. I get tickled. I'm not on. I'm not on. Oh, he's talking Italian now. All right, everybody. I'm going to end it there before Dave has an aneurysm. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, all of our thanks to uh, Gotham FC and head coach Juan Carlos there. He, uh, a great guy. Congratulations. Uh, work well done in his first year at that, uh, that, with that program. So, uh, all right, everybody. That's all the time we have on Over the Ball. For uh, Dave Gallego, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.
have comments or questions, give us a ring or shoot us a text at 727-914-9998. That's 727-914-9998.